Informing America's farmers and ranchers. It's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you for joining us. I am back from Orlando and the National Ethanol Conference. Hope you enjoyed our coverage the last couple of days. Been a lot of things happening this week on renewable fuels. And in fact, we'll have a, a kind of a, a wrap up conversation today on the ethanol conference and some of the things that have been developing this week. We'll have a conversation with Jeff Cooper, president and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association, and also DTN reporter Todd Neely will join me. He was in Orlando this week uh, with us. Uh, there were about a 1,000 there at the National Ethanol Conference. Want to get his perspective on what we saw and heard there and the latest news uh, now that uh, there are some uh, Republican senators that may withhold support of Andrew Wheeler's confirmation of as EPA administrator because of the RFS and some changes they want to see there. We'll talk about that with Todd a little bit later on as well. Also today, uh, Farm Bureau economist Veronica Naya will join us. We'll talk about wetlands, waters of the U.S., environmental issues and programs. That's coming up a little bit later as well. But right now, joining us from California is Jerry Hagstrom with the Hagstrom Report. Jerry, thank you for joining us. Uh, I believe you're out there for a crop insurance meeting. Is that right? Yes, there are actually two crop insurance meetings. One starts today uh, that involves the uh, the reinsurers. That's the people who come from uh, Zurich and Tokyo and, and London and Bermuda. Um, they're participants in the in the program because they they buy the policies once they have been issued or parts of the policies to take up some of the uh, risk. Uh, but I have to tell you, we're out here in supposedly sunny San Diego and it is pouring rain and windy. So it's not exactly what people were hoping for when they came out here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot of rain there in California, that's for sure. In fact, it was raining when I left Orlando, but it was still uh, it was still pretty nice even with some rain. All right, uh, let's talk about some issues, uh, some things are going on. Of course, the watch right now, uh, whether or not the president will agree to the, the deal to avoid another government shutdown. Well, I think it's pretty likely that the president is going to sign the deal. I don't think it would have gone this far. He keeps saying he doesn't want to shut down, uh, and so I think he's going to sign it. The, what's supposed to happen uh, is that the Senate's supposed to vote on it earlier today, and then the House would, would, have been, would vote on it tonight. And this, of course, would give the president 24 hours to, uh, to read and sign the bill before uh, the, the shutdown would actually start. Um, the most important news that I've heard about it, other than it's, you know the conventional aspects of funding agriculture programs, uh, is that it apparently does contain provisions that would stop the administration from moving the Economic Research Service under the office of the chief economist and stop uh, moving the employees of ERS and the National Institute of Food and Agriculture out of the Washington area. Now, that doesn't mean it won't happen, but it would be on a much slower pace than what the administration has been proposing. Also seems there will not be a tax extenders package as part of the bill, and that's a great concern to the, the biodiesel industry for sure. Yes, that seems to have been lost in the process. I don't know if it could be revived in some other bill, but the, the last thing I've heard about it is that it seems unlikely uh, that uh, people would be able to use these tax credits in the, in, for the uh, for filing their 2018 taxes, but they, they just couldn't get done that fast. 
Yeah, we'll be talking more about that tomorrow with the National Biodiesel Board. Meanwhile, on the trade front, Jerry, uh, we're hearing talk now maybe of uh, pushing back that March 1 deadline on even as talks are getting underway in Beijing uh, uh, today. Uh, yes, one of the people who's in Be- Beijing is Greg Gao, the, the chief U.S. agriculture negotiator. Uh, it's very good news for agriculture that he was included in the delegation that went. And the word from the White House is that, that they won't, that Trump won't, won't increase the tariffs on uh, Chinese products uh, uh, until until the after or well until the meeting uh, with the with the with the Chinese leader until he meets with the Chinese leader, um, so I would say those are those are good signs. Also, there's a, a report that President Xi is going to meet with uh, uh, Robert, U.S. Trade Representative, while Lighthizer. Is- Meanwhile, on USMCA, getting that deal passed in Congress, it's becoming uh, more and more clear that, uh, uh, I mean, the signals are being sent not only from ag groups, but members of Congress. Uh, the administration is going to have to lift those steel and aluminum tariffs on Mexico and Canada, it would seem, for this deal to have any chance of passing. Well, I, that's, that's absolutely true. Uh, first of all, the steel and aluminum tariffs have made it difficult for the United States to export agricultural products to Canada and Mexico because the Canadians and the, Chi- and the Mexicans have put uh, the tariffs on the U.S. farm products. And uh, what the ag groups say, particularly dairy, is USMCA won't be of any value to them if, they, if those tariffs aren't lifted because the tariffs, the retaliatory tariffs, Make U.S. farm products too expensive for the Canadians and the Chinese and the Canadians and the Mexicans to import. And meanwhile, as I mentioned earlier, um, the confirmation process of Andrew Wheeler to be the administrator at EPA now has hit another bump, and, and it's over the RFS. We have some senators, Ted Cruz and others, wanting changes again in the RFS, and they may hold this confirmation, their support for his confirmation, trying to use that as leverage to get some changes. Well, and if it's Ted Cruz asking for the changes, you know, that wouldn't be good for ethanol. But right. uh, we've just got such battles here. Uh, you know, the, the, the country divided between the ethanol-producing states and the and the oil-producing states. Uh, uh, so we will just have to uh, see how that uh, how, uh, how that goes. Uh, uh, I think we'll have to see more about that in the next week or so. It always happens. You get in these confirmation hearings, and then members of Congress use those opportunities to try whatever issue that they're they're focused on at the moment. They want something done. They use those opportunities, don't they? Uh, well, they uh, they certainly do. Uh, President Trump has been pretty strong in his uh, talk about, about the getting the E15 done by next summer, and uh, certainly Senator Grassley has been pushing on that as hard as possible. Um, so I'd still get on E15, but you know who knows in this uh, sort of crazy political climate we have in Washington these days. Yeah, we'll see it. This will be a big concern for the ethanol industry and the and the renewable fuels industry, and we'll see how that plays out. All right. Well, Jerry, thank you very much. Uh, enjoy California, even with the rain, and we'll talk to you next week and find out what you learn from the these meetings on crop insurance. Okay.
That sounds great. And I should note, the Californians, particularly farmers, are thrilled to have the water after so much, so many years of drought. Yeah, they have water and, and snow in the mountains, right? That's going to help them, too. Yes, yes, that's right. They, they really do need it. Uh, and supposedly the desert flowers here are going to be gorgeous this year. All right. All right, Jerry, thanks a lot. Talk to you soon. Okay, bye-bye. Jerry Hagstrom with the Hagstrom Report. All right, before I left Orlando and the National Ethanol Conference, I had a, a conversation with Jeff Cooper, president and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association. Got an update on some key issues and some pending decisions very much that will impact uh, the renewable fuels industry and ethanol in particular. Really, the industry at another crossroads. We'll talk about that with Jeff Cooper next here on AOA, Adams on Agriculture. The folks at NK Seeds know that the ag industry is changing, and they know you already have enough surprises to deal with. So they thought you'd like a heads up. They're building a new NK. If you're coming to Commodity Classic, be sure to visit the Syngenta booth to learn more about their reinvigorated NK corn portfolio and consistently high-yielding NK soybeans, all bred with the latest technology to help you maximize ROI. Did you know you can listen to the latest podcast of Adams on Agriculture or hear the top news and weekend review from the American Ag Network on your Amazon Alexa? Play my flash briefing. Use the Alexa app to search for the podcast you want to play. Search for Adams on Agriculture to learn about the issues affecting agriculture each weekday. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Again. Or you can search for the American Ag Network. This is the American Ag Network Week in Review. I'm Sabrina Hill. Stay up to date on agriculture with the sound of your voice on your Amazon device. My mom's a breast cancer survivor. The United Breast Cancer Foundation saved her life. Their free breast cancer exam caught the cancer early, and it saved her life. But now the foundation needs your help so they can continue offering free or low-cost breast screening exams, saving more women's lives. Help them by donating your car, whether it's running or not. They'll provide fast, free 24-hour pickup, and you receive a charitable tax deduction, plus the great feeling you'll get knowing your donated car is going to help save more lives. Just call 800-745-3327 to set the wheels in motion. They take cars, trucks, vans, and SUVs running or not. Call 800-745-3327. The United Breast Cancer Foundation needs your help, and your donation could literally save women's lives, helping them catch breast cancer early like they did with my mom. Donate today, 800-745-3327, 800-745-3327. Reason number 12 why you should own a Thermospas hot tub? They require no attachment to your home's plumbing. Thanks to the Thermospas' unique built-in thermofiltration system that filters the water an incredible 144 times a day, you simply fill it with a garden hose and your water stays crystal clear with very little maintenance. Call to receive a free DVD and brochure and find out how you can own a Thermospas hot tub for only a few dollars a day. Right now, they're offering 0% APR financing with approved credit and a $1,000 savings coupon, including free delivery, free chemicals, and a cash discount. And with bottles starting at $4,995, there will never be a better time to own a Thermospas hot tub. So call now and ask about this limited time offer. Call Thermospas today at 800-991-5852 for your free DVD and brochure. That's 800-991-5852. Thermospas, hot tubs designed to improve your life. Call 800-991-5852 today to take advantage of 0% APR financing. 
Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Before leaving Orlando in the National Ethanol Conference, I talked with Jeff Cooper, President and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association, and we talked about two big decisions pending that will have great impact on the ethanol industry moving forward. Jeff, let's look ahead a little bit. Some some key decisions coming up that will really impact the industry. Once again, the industry is at another crossroads, I think. Let's talk about those. We'll start with the reset. Well, we are expecting a, a proposed rule on the RFS reset uh, sometime this spring. We're hearing March, April time frame. Uh, and that's really an important rulemaking because it's not only going to set the volumes or, or propose the volumes for 2020 through 2022, I think it's going to also give us some insight into what EPA is thinking about for the RFS after 2022. Uh, so we've been uh, advocating with EPA that they use this opportunity and this rulemaking to give back some of that volume that was taken away through the small refiner waivers. Uh, and, and actually dating back to the Obama administration and the, you know, the EPA's misuse and abuse of a general waiver pr- provision back then. Uh, so the reset uh, proposal is, is critical in, in that regard. And the other decision? Well, you know, the E15 RVP proposal is, is at the top of our list right now. Uh, we're all waiting with, with bated breath for that uh, proposal to come out. Um, we're hearing it. It's still on track for a uh, February release. But, you know, here we are in, in mid-February, still haven't seen anything. Uh, we had been hearing some rumors that maybe the, the, RV, you know, the RVP piece of this was going to get split off from the REN reform provisions. Uh, and now we're hearing that that's not the case and that uh, those two pieces are going to be shoved in the same rulemaking again, which gives us a, a great deal of heartburn and concern. We just don't see any reason to, to try and do those both at once. Kind of had your hopes up and then it didn't turn out uh, the way you had hoped. You had an official here at the conference from General Motors basically say, do away with the RFS. Let's go with a high-octane plan. And, and you have concerns about that, don't you? Well, well we do. And I, and I think, it, you know, uh, we're not that naive. We've, we've <laughs> seen what happens before when, when somebody promises you the moon uh, and, and, you know, doesn't end up delivering. Uh, I, I equated it this morning to what happened with uh, MTBE. You know, in the 1990 Clean Air Act amendments, uh, Senator Daschle, who was here today, and, and Senator Bob Dole uh, came up with the clean fuels, uh, clean, you know, oxy fuels program with the idea that it was going to be a big boost for ethanol and create a brand new market for ethanol. Well, refiners turned around and created their own oxygenate known as MTBE uh, and didn't use ethanol, even though it would have been a lower cost solution. Um, and so we all know how that went. And, and we're concerned that uh, in the absence of a requirement to blend renewable fuels like ethanol, refiners are going to find their own, uh, their own you know, sources of octane made within the refinery. Is there a frustration with the auto industry? They're not more of a leader when it comes to the use of renewable fuels. They often talk about the chicken and egg. And I understand about not getting too, out, too far out in front with investments until you know there's a market for it. But they, they, it's like you've had to pull them or push them along all along through the, the last several years. Well, that, that's right. I, you know, and they've, they've wanted us to, to come to the table, as they say, on this uh, 95 Ron concept. Uh, but it's not clear to us that it does anything for us in terms of, of opportunities and, and future growth in the marketplace. Uh, it, it has been frustrating because the, the automakers started out two, three years ago 
saying they wanted an even higher octane number. They wanted a 98 to 100 gron octane number, which you really, there's no way you could get there without using more ethanol. Uh, so we were fully on board with that approach. Um, and it was, you know, was, wasn't until they, they talked with the refiners and the refiners drew a line in the sand and said, you know, we, don't, we will not go higher than 95. Uh, that the autos kind of uh, turned on us, and, and it's been it's been frustrating. Um, so we need to kind of re rebuild some trust there, and and kind of restart, uh, hit the reset button with with those folks. Kind of interesting what's happened uh, out in California with the low carbon fuel standard. I remember when that came out, the ethanol industry did not really like it, and it looked like it would be bad for the ethanol industry. Things have kind of changed over the years. Now the push is for low carbon, and you've talked about maybe there could be a similar initiative maybe in the Midwest. Well, that, that's right, Mike, and, and honestly, the, the California LCFS 10 years ago would have been bad for, for corn ethanol because uh, the, the agency had an uh, erroneous view of, of corn mm-hmm. ethanol. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they assumed, based on their modeling, that it wouldn't be much better, if, in, if better at all, than gasoline in terms of, of greenhouse gas emissions. Uh, we fought that uh, vigorously, and really over time, what we've seen is, is California regulators have a much better understanding of our industry and, and, and the, the progress and advances that we've made uh, and, and the impact on greenhouse gas emissions. Today, most of the ethanol going into California, uh, the regulators, as they analyze that fuel, you know, they, they say it's reducing greenhouse gas emissions by about 30% on average. So that's a much different place than where we started uh, 10 years ago with the LCFS, and our producers are seeing some, some financial return and value because of that. How concerned are you about calls for basically doing away with the liquid fuel industry in this country, going all electric or whatever it may be, which sounds like, you know, pie in the sky, but yet there are people pushing for it, people at some high levels of government pushing for it. Does that concern you? Well, yeah, I think it's, it is a concern when, when there is a lack of education around the fact that we have liquid renewable fuels that are available today that can accomplish a lot of the same goals that they're trying to achieve through, you know, electrification and, and banning fossil fuels. We can help reduce greenhouse gas emissions by significant volumes, significant quantities, if we're increasing the amount of ethanol that we're able to put in, in the blend. Uh, so it is concerning that there's a lack of education that kind of leads to those sorts of, of, of proposals and statements. But practically speaking, we're not terribly concerned about liquid transportation fuels you know, going away in the next 10 years or 20 years or 50 years. Um, we heard some, some presenters this morning talking about you know, even a, under a fairly aggressive scenario, you know, you just don't see a huge penetration of electric vehicles until mid-century. Uh, and we certainly agree with that. We're going to be using liquid fuels for a long time in this country, and we think ethanol has an important role to play in delivering higher octane and more efficiency and reducing emissions. And finally, some interesting uh, polling. Uh, and I agree with this because I've been saying this for a long time, that people talk about buy American and support America. And I always said, well, then why didn't they buy ethanol? Why didn't they support ethanol? That's an American product. Uh, It's always been my feeling that people, when they pull into a gas station, the first thing above all else is they look at price. They want to assume that the product will be safe for their vehicle, but they'll always look at price. Polling now kind of indicates that is the case, right? Yeah, we we did have some polling conducted very recently, just within the last uh, month or so. And and it was actually focus groups. So we had a group of consumers and voters in the St. Louis area and another group in the Washington, D.C. area 
sit down and, and go through a very lengthy exercise about their opinions about ethanol and renewable fuels and, and, and other topics. And what we found overwhelmingly is that their number one concern when they pull up to the pump is affordability mm-hmm. and price. And, and if it's good for the environment, well, that's great. If, if it's made in America, that's good. Uh, but their, their main concern is, is it good for their wallets? And, and again, we think ethanol has an excellent story to tell there because we are uh, lower priced than gasoline and, and, and have been delivering savings to the American consumer for, for years. One other important, I guess, kind of uh, surprising outcome of those focus groups is 80% of the people involved didn't even know that the gasoline that they've been using uh, contains up to 10% ethanol, or, or in some, you know, some cases, maybe a little more. Um, so I, I think it was you know, insightful to our audience here, you know, people that think about ethanol every day and, and live and breathe you know, renewable fuels and, and are in this every day. It's insightful to know that the, you know, the rest of the world isn't thinking about us all that much. So if you told a lot of motorists, hey, you know you've been using ethanol in your vehicle for 30, 40 years with no problems, they would be shocked. Yeah, they, they would be, and that was another really kind of insightful finding from this exercise uh, was the group that conducted these focus groups said, hey, for any other product, we want to be talking about future benefits and, and what, you know, what this product's going to do for you in the future. With ethanol, they said, we want to be telling consumers what it's done in the past and, and that it's been in the market for 40 years mm-hmm. and it's been delivering savings and, and it hasn't resulted in any damage or, or any of these uh, sorts of other problems or issues that, that folks have heard about uh, through the you know uh, myths that have, are, have been propagated by the oil industry. So uh, yeah, very, very insightful stuff and I think is going to be really helpful as we think about how to engage with consumers moving forward. That's Jeff Cooper, president and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association. Uh, Jeff took over that position from Bob Deneen uh, last fall and uh, is off to a great start with his leadership for the industry. Bob Deneen uh, was honored at the conference this week for all of his years of, of great leadership for the industry and continues to be a tremendous spokesman now in a, uh, and in a more of an advisor, strategic advisor capacity with the Renewable Fuels Association. But uh, these are some big decisions. We wait to see what uh, EPA does with E15 for this summer and, of course, has moved now um, uh, on environmental issues, greenhouse gases, Uh, Will that work for ethanol and biodiesel? It should because of the environmental benefits, but is the push going to be more towards electric and things like that? Lots of things happening right now, including uh, the confirmation process for Andrew Wheeler as EPA administrator. The RFS is being brought up in that, certainly. We'll talk more about that a little bit later with DTN reporter Todd Neely. But coming up next, we're going to talk wetlands with Veronica Nye, economist for the American Farm Bureau Federation. Stay with us on AOA. The folks at NK Seeds know that the ag industry is changing, and they know you already have enough surprises to deal with. So they thought you'd like a heads up. They're building a new NK. If you're coming to Commodity Classic, be sure to visit the Syngenta booth to learn more about their reinvigorated NK corn portfolio and consistently high-yielding NK soybeans, all bred with the latest technology to help you maximize ROI. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. We're excited to explore the topics that make a difference to agriculture. The Farm Bill, immigration reform, reducing regulations, trade, new technology, as well as infrastructure and health care. 
Through the year, Adams on Agriculture will originate on location from several major national meetings and events. Subscribe to the show's podcast at AmericanAgNetwork.com. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. Time now for a market check here on Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. The beginning of trade talks between U.S. Treasury Secretary Steven Mnuchin, U.S. Trade Rep Robert Lighthizer, and Chinese Vice Premier Hu in Beijing are dominating grain trader attention today with the hope that positive steps can be found. European shares rose in early activity. Barring a breakthrough, the U.S. is set to raise tariffs on $200 billion in Chinese goods on March 2nd. U.S. stocks opening solidly lower Thursday morning after lackluster economic reports overshadowed optimism over progress in the U.S.-Chinese trade negotiations. The Dow fell about 205 points in early trade. Minus signs for the grain trade with soybeans trending 5 to 6 cents lower, penny and a fraction lower in corn, wheat futures trending two and a fraction lower in Minneapolis, five to six lower in Chicago and Kansas City. March corn climbed modestly yesterday, marking the second consecutive session in a row of gains. On the upside, corn bulls have been stymied by resistance at 381 and three quarters to 383. On the downside for March soybeans, if 903 and a half gives way, soybeans could be vulnerable to slippage towards major support and the previous swing low at 891 and a quarter. For livestock at the Merck, more minus signs in live cattle futures. February live cattle down 25 at 125.70. April up 27 at 127.25. Feeder cattle March down 20 at 143.32. April down 25 at 145.82. Lean hog futures 15 to 80 cents lower. April down 82 at 58.95. On Wall Street, the Dow off its worst levels of the day, down 103 points. NASDAQ down 9, S&P down 8. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. We paid less for our Craftmatic today than we did 20 years ago. If you're still searching for the perfect solution to a good night's sleep, call now for prices and free information on today's Craftmatic adjustable beds. And then decide when you see how little they cost. Rated number one by consumers nationwide on ConsumerAffairs.com. Craftmatic beds come in all mattress types, including cool gel memory foam for up to 50% less than today's leading memory foam brand. Enjoy temporary relief of low back pain, poor circulation, nighttime heartburn, mild arthritis. You'll sleep better in a Craftmatic adjustable Bed. So if you're still searching for the perfect solution to a good night's sleep, call now for prices and information, and then decide when you see how little they cost. Discover Craftmatic for less, up to 50% less than today's leading memory foam brand. Call 1-800-318-7903. That's 1-800-318-7903. 1-800-318-7903. Call now. information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. Well, we often hear critics of production agriculture say that uh, production agriculture, modern agriculture is destroying uh, natural wildlife habitat. Is that really the case? Where are we in that uh, with that issue of wetlands and uh, 
habitat for migratory birds. We talk now with Veronica Nye, an economist with the American Farm Bureau Federation. Veronica, thank you for joining us. Some interesting numbers, really, when you take a look at uh, this issue and, and where we're at and how far we've come in the last few years. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me on the show. Um, you know, I think we've been talking, as you said, a lot about wetlands and conservation. And even in the last couple of weeks, I've been talking about it even more. Between, you know, USDA's interim final rule for highly erodible land and wetland conservation, uh, the revised clean water rule that we're getting ready to, to start digging into, and the 2018 Farm Bill, uh, wetlands and, and, and your region, including the Prairie Pothole region, have, have been on the tip of a lot of folks' tongues. So what do we know, uh, hearing from folks, uh, groups like Ducks Unlimited, what are we learning? Well, you know, I think it's when you talk to the Ducks Unlimited folks and, and kind of read through what they're, they're saying, uh, they point you to some good resources, which is what kind of uh, got us going in that direction. Um, you know, the Prairie Pothole region is the, is the breeding ground for the 10 most popul- populous duck species in the U.S., and um, you know, I think when in econ we talk a lot about whether or not we're able to measure measure something or, or not. And, you know, sometimes measurement of the, uh, actions on private land can be difficult. You know, how many wetlands are really out there? Uh, but we can look at things called instrument variables, which in this situation I'm calling the dust population, and saying, hey, if, uh, you know, there's a lot of wetlands up in the Prairie Pothole region, we should expect the duck population to be doing pretty well. And, you know, we took a look at the Fish and Wildlife Service uh, inventory for uh, that, that 10 most uh, popular or, or uh, largest population of ducks in the U.S. And in 2018, they estimated that uh, the total migratory duck population was over 41 million uh, breeding ducks, which is a 17% over the long-term average. So, you know, if I'm looking at, at that instrument variable, it looks like we're doing a fairly good job. Yeah, we look at that prairie pothole region. We're looking at Iowa, Minnesota, North Dakota, South Dakota, Montana in particular. Uh, Yeah, those numbers are very interesting. What it shows, I mean, I think it reveals that farmers, landowners, many of them often sportsmen sportsmen themselves, they've taken habitat preservation seriously. Yeah, that's right. You know, we can can look at what's publicly available, and that's data that it's – uh, that's available through USDA for folks who are participating in conservation programs. We can look at the Fish and Wildlife Service data for lands that they control um, and, and kind of maybe use that as an example of what's going on in the larger landscape. And, and what we see when we look at that information is that, you know, within within the Prairie Pothole region, uh, over the last 15 years, uh, there's been more than $2 billion spent um, on federal conservation and wetland government programs. Uh, and the result of that, um, you know, you can look in the, the CRP acreage data, and it, it, it tells some pretty interesting stories about how folks have shifted uh, the land practices uh, for those acres enrolled in CRP, maybe uh, towards conservation uh, programs uh, that, are, that are focused on wetlands and, and buffers. Uh, so, you know... Even if the total, even over the last 15 years, when the total number of CRP acres has gone down, we're actually seeing that the number of acres enrolled in wetland and buffers has gone up. 
Now, that's interesting. We think back a few years. It seems like a long, long time ago now when grain prices were much higher. Um, the, the, the thought was then, all oh, you know, farmers are just going to tear out the wetlands and forget about conservation practices. They're going to just plant for those higher prices. Uh, obviously, what this shows, that was not the case. Yeah, you know, that was a common uh, discussion point from, from folks who were, who were concerned uh, about, you know, uh, folks uh, plowing up prairies or, or, or draining wetlands. But when you look at uh, USDA data, uh, the total number of acres under plow has stayed about the same in the region. Now, admittedly, farmers have followed the market signals and have switched uh, maybe from, especially in the Dakotas, maybe have switched from, from wheat over to, to corn or, or beans, but mainly corn. Uh, but they haven't really gone out and, and, and wholesale started uh, adding more acres into into the rotation. So uh, we see a lot more preservation there than I, than I think uh, our farmers and ranchers are getting credit for. And in addition to farmers and ranchers, the Fish and Wildlife Service uh, doing a lot to ensure... Uh, the preservation of wetlands. In fact, uh, looks like that's increasing. Yeah, you know, they, the Fish and Wildlife Service, uh, through the, the duck stamp program, uh, you know, they, they've been selling those like 50s. They generate revenue that then they can use to go out and purchase private lands. And I know that's, a, you know, can be a, a controversial uh, discussion, uh, but they're certainly with those, those funds trying to identify lands that have the best habitat for uh, for waterfowl ducks and, and geese um, so they're you know they're going out and one soliciting um, requests for from folks who are already inclined to to make that sort of a sale and then they're saying all right where can we get the biggest bang for our buck uh, and when you look just at, at uh, again that prairie pothole region um, it's the number of acres that official wildlife services owns has increased by 1.3 million acres, uh, which is an increase of over 25%. So uh, today, Fish and Wildlife Service acreage in the region is, is over 6 million acres. So, uh, you know, certainly uh, when you look at this, uh, it, it's, a, it's a lot of positives. You know, if I was playing the slots, it'd be three cherries coming up here. You've got Fish and Wildlife Service adding acres that are really vital to habitat. You've got farmers and ranchers adding more acreage and, and wetlands and, and uh, buffers through the CRP program. And then you've got farmers and ranchers also adding, uh, you know, additional conservation practices through other uh, programs. And the result is we're seeing a pretty healthy duck population. We're talking with Veronica Nye, economist for the American Farm Bureau Federation. And, and the overall point I wanted to make with this, Veronica, is, again, I don't think farmers, ranchers, landowners get enough credit for this. I mean, just the opposite. They're criticized for destroying this natural habitat when the the statistics and the data uh, tells a different story. Yeah, you know, it's, you know, folks follow the, the duck population closely, and I, and I get that. Um, but once, once you think a little bit more about what influences the duck population, um, it, it's pretty pretty quickly you, you realize that that precipitation has a plays a big role. Um, the Fish and Wildlife Service also tracks the number of what they call may ponds, which are just ponds that fill up with water um, in in that uh, prairie pothole region. Um, 
in in the in the springtime and providing that uh, you know that habitat. But if you don't have uh, if you don't have much precipitation, if you have a, a low year, uh, then of course you're not going to have as many as those ponds. Um, and the funny little thing about ducks is that they're pretty territorial. So um, you know if there's the population does better when there's a lot of little ponds, so they don't have to fight with each other. So. You know, in, in a low rainfall year, you're naturally going to have a lower uh, duck population because they're spending more time fighting and less time uh, hatching eggs. So, uh, twenty uh, this this last this last couple of years, we've had you know sort of interesting uh, rainfall patterns, and that causes folks some concern about uh, the number of ducks that they're seeing. But it's really a, a, a pretty natural cycle uh, in the breeding cycle of, of, of waterfowl. And Veronica, before we let you go, just want to mention the administration's uh, WOTUS replacement rule set to be published today in the Federal Register. That kicks off the 60-day public comment period for this. Yeah, you know, I think definitely the, the, this information is going to fit into our discussion of the clean water rule because, you know, the, the concern from, from folks is that, oh, hey, you know, um, Similar to the high high crop prices of a few years ago, uh, folks are always concerned that when something something changes, it's going to dramatically impact the way farmers and ranchers view their land and and how they operate it. And you know the concern, uh, similar again to that high land price, is that or excuse me, high crop price is that um, we're going to see a whole bunch of, uh, of land in the in the prairie pothole region. Uh, switched over that that it's going to go under under plow um because it's no longer protected uh, you know according to those folks by the clean water rule and you know i think this data clearly shows that uh farmers and ranchers and the fish and wildlife service they were all protecting duck populations and and the landscape well before we started talking about any revisions to the clean water rule so when we're looking at increased crp acres through the 2018 farm bill uh i don't I don't think we're going to see the uh, decline in the number of wetlands and buffers provided for, for our migratory friends, but instead probably an increase. Yeah, interesting time, and these are interesting numbers, and wanted to uh, get those out and let people uh, uh, hear them because uh, they may be some people may be surprised at uh, the numbers and statistics and the, the trends that you have talked about here with us today. Veronica, thank you very much. Appreciate your time. Thanks, Mike. Have a good one. Take care. That's Farm Bureau, American Farm Bureau Federation economist Veronica Nye. All right, uh, we'll take a break on this uh, Valentine's Day. We'll come back and talk with DTN reporter Todd Neely. He was at the uh, National Ethanol Conference this week in Orlando as well. want to get his thoughts on what we heard there and uh, the latest on this confirmation for Andrew Wheeler as EPA administrator. How serious is the threat by uh, some senators uh, to withhold their support for Wheeler unless they get changes that they want in the RFS? We'll talk about that and more coming up next. Stay with us here on AOA Adams on Agriculture. I'm here to tell you that your options for getting out of debt have never been better. How do I know? Because I'm Howard Dvorkin, the founder of Consolidated Credit. For nearly two decades, we've helped over 5 million people just like you. And every time we help someone, they all say the same thing. 
Why didn't I call sooner? If you owe too much money on your credit cards and you feel that you'll never be able to pay it off, don't wait. Simply pick up the phone and find out what our Freedom Quest program can do for you. Reducing your payments by up to 50% is just the beginning, but you have to take the first step. When credit card debt is the problem, we're the solution. Call Consolidated Credit now. As soon as you call, the hard part is over. Call Consolidated Credit now. 1-800-489-7204. 1-800-489-7204. That's 1-800-489-7204. 5701 Sunrise Boulevard, Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Licensed debt management service provider, Vermont and New York Banking Departments, Maryland 49, Oregon DM80031. All right, crew, let's get her dug. Honey, you want to give me a hand? I'm planting that tree, remember? No matter how large or small your digging project may be, no matter how urban or rural, you must always call 811 before any digging project. 811 is our national one-call number, alerting your local utility companies to come out and mark any lines they have near your dig site. You must call 811 at least two to three business days before any digging project so you can avoid hitting our essential buried utilities. This includes natural gas and petroleum pipelines, electric, communication cables, and water and sewer lines. So before you do this or this, make sure you do this. For digging projects big or small, make the call to 811 Brought to you by Common Ground Alliance. When you went car shopping, you meant business. You ace vehicle history searches and test drives. You out salesmen to the salesman. Now you've got your wheels. If you manage that, you can get your retirement plan on track. Visiting aceyourretirement.org can help. With 401k tips and smart saving strategies, you'll have the info you need to get more for your future. Go to aceyourretirement.org because when it comes to speeding past financial challenges, you're an ace. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, we'll probably stay together. Probably? <laughs> it's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, okay, now tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! Oh, I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. You're not wired to have a response to this sound. You're neutral to it and you can hear it repeatedly without feeling anything. But when we introduce a new stimulus, save the food, we've achieved pulling a natural or inborn response from you. Save the food. Why are we doing this, you may ask? Save the food. Because this ad is trying to change the world's behaviour through brainwashing. Because 40% of all food in the US never gets eaten. Save the food. And that costs a family of four $1,500 a year. Save the food. Cha-ching. It's worsening climate change through the release of methane gas. Save the food. Cha-ching. And it's wasting precious natural resources like our fresh water. Save the food. Cha-ching. So when you hear this sound, 
Don't be neutral. Rethink your behaviour. Cook it, store it, share it. Just don't waste it. For tips and recipes, visit savethefood.com. Brought to you by NRDC and the Ad Council. Hi, I'm George Foreman. Do you have an idea for a new product or invention? People ask me all the time, George, how do I get my idea in front of companies? How do I get a patent? What do I do next? Do you have the same questions? I'll tell you like I'll tell them all. Call my friends at InventHelp. To get your free inventor's information, call 1-800-352-0432. That's 1-800-352-0432. I believe every inventor deserves the opportunity to step into the ring and take their best shot. Put InventHelp in your corner. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. Well, one of those uh, in Orlando this week for the National Ethanol Conference was DTN reporter Todd Neely. And somehow, Todd, we never ran into each other while we were there. (laughs) Yeah, I know. That's kind of the way things are. We get so hectic and busy. But, yeah, it was was a good time. I thought it was interesting. This is an industry that... um, you know, this isn't the best of times for economically for the, those in the ethanol industry right now. Yet, I thought right. when you look at when you look at the mood of the conference and the issues they addressed, uh, what struck me was this is an industry that has gone through the ups and downs before, and so there wasn't panic. There's there's certain, obviously concern, and uh, there's some big issues and big decisions ahead. But an industry that uh, you know has gone through this these types of things before and, and seems to be uh, ready to deal with uh, the issues moving forward and moving out of uh, this you know what's been a down cycle for them this past year. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. I mean, Mike, we've seen you know all the way back to 2005 when the first RFS came out. Um, it's just been one struggle and one battle after another. Uh, but you're right. Along the way, I mean, we've seen an industry here that's you know, not only thrived, but it's it's improved what it does. Um, you know, think of it this way, too. When you have so many different changes in Congress, uh, so many different things that, that this industry faces, you know, kind of these headwinds that we hear about, uh, you know, like a constant re-education process when it comes to members of Congress, you know, just just to talk about the general uh, the general benefits of the industry. It's, it seems like one thing after another you know we've uh, for years we've seen ups and downs and margins you know that's really nothing new in the industry um but politically it's just been one of these things that you know we've got an industry that's so battle battle tested that it really was quite remarkable i, I think you're right you know we're we're at such a low uh, down cycle in this industry right now uh, but you couldn't tell that among the people at that conference it, it was you know, here we are. Let's go back to work and and let's deal with what we got to deal with now. And now, in the confirmation process for Andrew Wheeler as EPA administrator, we have some senators uh, threatening to withhold their support until they get some changes right. they want to see in the RFS, which would not be changes that the uh, renewable fuels industry would like to see. Absolutely, and I, you know, I think. Uh, you know, this is going to be a constant back and forth, I think, especially here in the next couple of years, you know, leading up to the 2020 presidential election, um, you know, and then the change in the House to the Democratic side. Um, I think we're going to see a lot more pressure uh, coming from a lot of these oil state representatives as well. You know, there's still a lot out there uh, that we don't know much about. You know, what are we going to do? What are we going to see with uh, small refinery waivers? Uh, you know, what exactly is, is the RINs reform that we hear about? What's that going to look like? Uh, and then, of course, we've got the E15 thing. We've, uh, 
you know, that rule is expected to come out sometime soon. Uh, but as you know, there's going to be lawsuits. And so, um, yeah, like, like, you know, there's just never a, there's never, it seems a, a calm moment in this industry. And I think, uh, you know, Wheeler's just another, another one of these battlefronts. I, I don't know that that's actually going to hold back his, uh, his passage, uh, by the Senate, but, um, you know, it, I think this is going to be used as a time by some of these senators to raise some of these points at, you know, such a critical juncture. I think it's also going to be interesting, Todd, to see with this big push by uh, new House Democrats, uh, whether it's the the new uh, the Green New Deal or whatever it is, but this push on environmental right. issues. Does the renewable fuels industry get the credit for what it's doing to improve the environment, or does this group want to go a, a completely different direction and go like all electric or things like that that we're hearing? Uh, it, this it'll be interesting to see. Is this a great opportunity for the renewable fuels industry, or yet another big challenge? Right. You know, on that Green New Deal, we really don't know any details at the moment. I mean, it's kind of a kind of a pie in the sky idea that was put out there. Um, but I, I think, you know, it does raise uh, an opportunity for ethanol to tell its story. You know, it really has a good story to tell when it comes to the environment. Um, I know early on in the industry, when, it, when, we, when the boom actually started, uh, there was a lot of criticism, you know, uh, land use change, food versus fuel, all these things we hear about. Um, a lot of those things have obviously been proven to not be true. Uh, but now here we're at a crossroads where I think, um, you know, we talk about re-education, and I and I think for some reason it's it's not really understandable, but the message about the benefits of ethanol never seemed to get into the general public. And so, um, yeah, it's it's really interesting because you know when this uh, when this build out of this industry started years ago, uh, you know there was a lot of talk at these conferences early on that hey we got to get our word out there about us what we're doing and why we're good. Um, and it's still to this point it doesn't seem that it's actually sunk in much. And there's obviously still a difference on the approach moving forward between the renewable fuels industry and the auto industry, as we heard this week from a GM official at the right. National Ethanol Conference. Yeah, you know, this whole, the, we hear about the high-octane future, uh, you know, setting a national octane standard that, that everyone can agree on and that car makers make the cars that need the, the fuels and ethanol provides all the, the high-octane. Well. Uh, yeah, during the conference, it was quite clear that we came and agree on what that standard should be. Um, you know, at the beginning, we heard that automakers and, and some of the others were in support of uh, what they call the 98 uh, research octane number. Um, and then we heard uh, this week that quite the opposite. You know, they want to start out at 95, and uh, really starting out at 95 really doesn't go the direction that the ethanol industry wants. I mean, there's a lot more potential uh, for more ethanol usage on higher octane levels. And so um, I don't know that this is going to be resolved anytime soon. You know, if it's going to happen, uh, you know, there's still that debate about whether it can be done through legislation or whether uh, EPA can do it administratively. And I think uh, that's where the rubber meets the road. The two sides are going to have to decide whether they get behind some legislation or, uh, you know, they push on EPA to get it done. Yeah. Well, interesting times. We did hear from Deputy Secretary USDA, Deputy Secretary Steve Sinsky, uh, continuing, continuing to pledge USDA support for renewable fuels. Yeah, absolutely, and that's going to be huge. Um, you know, I think as the industry builds out at higher blends, uh, we're going to need more of that money from USDA through some of these various programs that help build some of the infrastructure. Um, and just to have that there, you know, to have that support, I, I think is 
is a is a really good thing. Well, Todd, thanks a lot. I, I wish we'd have gotten to talk uh, right. during the conference, but we were both yeah. busy doing other things. But good to talk with you now. Thanks a lot. Yeah, thank you, Mike. Take care. DTN reporter Todd Neely. All right, coming up tomorrow, we'll talk with the National Biodiesel Board about the tax extenders uh, uh, package, evidently not going to be part of the bill to fund the government and avoid a shutdown. We'll talk about that. We'll talk markets with Arlen Suderman. Ag equipment sales numbers are out. We'll go over that as well. Hope you'll join us right here on AOA.